Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. This is the Back Porch Writer Podcast, the show for writers, about writers, and writing. It's live, fun, and informative. Each week, I chat with writers, editors, and industry pros to give you and me a heads up about this whole new awesome publishing world. Back Porch Writer is about creating the life that you want through writing and publishing. Are you ready to tap submit? Let's explore the possibilities together. Welcome to Back Porch Writer. Welcome to Back Porch Writer, the show for writers, about writers, and writing. I'm your host, Corey Miller, and today is October 18th, 2016, and it is just crisp outside. Not too cold, not warm. It's just, in my opinion, perfect because it's about 53 degrees or so out there, and it's just bright, beautiful day so far. So actually, I'm very excited to get outside later today and do some stuff. In fact, in the evening, I'm going to be hosting a letterboxing event. Now, if you've never heard of this, this is similar to geocaching. So something is hidden, you have clues, you're trying to find them. But in letterboxing, there's also a stamp involved and all this. And since I'm co-leader of a Girl Scout troop, we decided this was one of the patches that the girls were going to earn. And tonight is the night for them to actually try letterboxing. So I've got to get all that stuff ready and get things hidden. And uh, it's going to be so much fun to be out there with, with the girls and their flashlights because it should be dark by the time we do this. So that'll make it even more entertaining <laughs> that they're trying to find these things um, at a local park. But at any rate, letterboxing, fun. I've never done it. I've done geocaching. That's kind of fun too. But I thought, oh, it's similar. It, it won't be too hard. And of course, I got to make everything up. So of course, it's going to be super easy for me to do. Uh, but lots of fun. So I'm going to get outside and do that. Yesterday was the uh, first meeting for the Queens of the 64 Chess Club all-female chess club, and we had about eight people show up for that event. I was excited about that because, you know, it could have been zero. (laughs) It's a small community. It could have been zero. So I was thrilled that we had eight people show up and different, you know, various ages. I had some parents playing, the the mothers playing. It was a lot of fun, and they were a little bit nervous because they weren't really chess players in their minds, and but they knew how the pieces moved, and so they enjoyed their time. It was very cool. So that's a ongoing weekly event that I host in uh, just Fremont, Nebraska. So if you're ever in the area, you happen to be female, and it's a Monday night, go over to Polymath, a nice little cafe that's in downtown Fremont, and get a sandwich. They're known for right now their uh, chicken salad sandwich. I don't eat chicken. I can't tell you much about it, but I hear it's great. I usually get a veggie pesto panini, which they didn't have on their menu, but they're able to do. And so if you're a vegetarian, you could get the veggie pesto panini while you're there and then hang out and play some chess with the rest of the female gang there. So that was what I did yesterday. And then tonight, like I said, it's letterboxing. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be a lot of fun. But it's getting pretty busy because, as you know, I'm also in school right now. So it's ah, the calendar is getting full. That's all I have to say. It's getting very, very full. <laughs> So let's get on with everything. I have a guest today. I have a couple of announcements, but I'm going to save them for the end of the show. Um, I have a guest named Allie Parker, 
and she writes uh, romance, primarily romance, but she writes in a, ver- in a variety of subgenres. She also writes MG, you know, middle grade, young adult, and paranormal. I think romance and paranormal. She'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but she writes in all these different subgenres, and she has a variety of pen names that she uses. And so she got in touch, and I thought, well, this could be really interesting to talk with someone about how you decide what subgenres you choose. Because I know from talking with lots of new authors, that's one of the things that's kind of hard for them. They'll think, well, I write in so many different things. I'm doing all I'm kind of the hodgepodge of stuff. Where do I put it? And that can be really hard. That can be challenging. So maybe Allie can help us out. Welcome to Back Porch Rider, Allie. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. So tell everybody a little bit about you first. I mean, I, I did a little, but you know so much more about you than I do. <laughs> so you go ahead. <laughs> sure. So I, uh, I'm actually a CPA by trade, um, 15 years as being a CPA. And then a couple of years ago, I felt like I wanted to take one more big risk before I turned 40. Um, I'm 38 now. So I decided to jump off into the world of fiction. I had some good friends that were writing fiction and making good money at it. And um, <clears throat> they said I should give it a try. So I wrote my first book and, and um, it went well. Um, I tried the aging thing and then put it up in the, in the drawer. I didn't need to be rejected again. It's kind of how I felt. And so <clears throat> after about a year, I got it back out and um, dusted it off and figured out what self publishing was and, and decided, okay, I'm going to just jump in beat first. And so it's been about 18 months and um, I guess I just finished my my 90th book last week. Um, and I've written in all kinds of genres. I just kind of wanted to test out everything and let my mind, you know, go wild and open up and see what was possible. So I have written in a lot of genres and I have written under a lot of different pen names to just do a better job of branding. So that, that can be kind of part of the discussion if you want to, too, under the subgenre, the, the idea of branding. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the first question that most listeners are going to have right about now is, so you've been writing about 18 months, so less than two years, and now you're at your 90th book. How in the world are you doing that? Do you sleep? Uh, I do sleep, but I actually still cook dinner and take my kids to the park and do all kinds of stuff. Um, I'm very left-brained, and I have you know the right brain capability of being creative as well. So I create um, a sandbox almost for myself to jump into with my left brain by structuring my plot the same every, every time, the setup. Um, scheduling specific times that I'm going to write and um, just kind of putting my process together in a way that allows me when it's time for my right brain to go that in a, in a capacity of two or three days, I can sit down and, and, and pump out a novel. <clears throat> of course, that's taken time. You know, I started by tying my tennis shoes and now I'm running marathons, but over the last 18 months, it's been a very dedicated, um, purposeful reason for sitting down and doing this to build a business out of it more than just a hobby or I enjoy writing. It was to sustain, you know, a six-figure income based on what I was making before. Um, and I just kind of locked down my why. Why do I need to write so fast? Why do I need to pump out so many words? And so I'll be heading into nonfiction next year actually to talk about being prolific just because it's been such a fun a fun conversation with lots of authors. Mm-hmm. So you're saying you get a first draft written in three days? Yeah, I actually right. did one – I did a – yeah, that's right. I did a, um, I actually did a project this last year where I did a book in a day just for fun, just to kind of let my author friends around me go, can we do it? And, or can I do it? And so I prepared for it and sat down at six thirty one morning and at midnight that night I had a 47,000 word novel and it actually is at five stars. We have 70 reviews, five stars. So it wasn't like it was a piece of crap, which most people think, Oh, you're writing fast. It's not that great, but it actually turned out great. It, it was one of those days where I just completely got into flow 
and and being in flow it just it went by with you know snap of the fingers now I was a zombie for two days after but I still had a novel with me you know in three days so mm-hmm. so in a, if you're doing that in a day you know you mentioned you you have a family of kids you still cook dinner um, I'm kind of thinking maybe on that night you didn't <laughs> on that night I didn't and the husband just threw food in the room like I was some kind of caged animal so <laughs> for me it's usually popcorn <laughs> there you go popcorn that works that every time <laughs> <laughs> so and I think you touched on something um, that a lot of writers with whom I've spoken or interviewed have also said is that how is it possible to write something that quickly, whether it's in a day because you were just challenging yourself or even three days, because three days, that's still short. How do you mm-hmm. write something that's, you know, 25, 30, 40, 50,000 words in that time frame and make it good? I mean, are you, you, you write that first manuscript. What's your next step? Because most people aren't going to publish the first thing they wrote, that, that first draft. Right, and I have a very odd model that most artists would look at and go, oh my gosh, are you serious right now? Because if you think about it, if this is just the first draft, then normally you would take it and you would go through your second and your third draft. You know, what did I say? What what did I want to say? And then how do I polish it really well at third draft? And I've decided in my being in being prolific that I would rather hire people to come in and help me. So I have a very strong content editor that works on my second draft and then I'll review it and then we'll go through an editing phase. So the phase after that takes a little bit of time, but I really truly do believe in flow. Like I believe it's that, that magical thing that some people kind of might turn their nose up at, but most of us wouldn't that when you get in it, it's just like the world stops and time stops and you really are telling a story and I'm a sensory writer. So I can see the movie in my head. So I don't, I don't, not all the words might be perfect or well, all the words might not be perfect when I get done, but that's what my content editor's for. That's what my second review's for, those type of things. But getting the story out, I think, is just, again, living the life of my character and telling the story from their eyes, which is so easy to do when I binge write, when I allow myself to get into a state of flow that doesn't stop for a while, other than, you know, for the normal things, food and those type of things. But. Mm-hmm. Now, why don't you, you're using the term content editor, so why don't you describe what that person is doing? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So they're going through and making sure the plot is solid. They're making sure my characters don't change their voice in the middle of the the next paragraph or that they become someone totally different or that I um, had, don't have any plot holes at the end of it. Um, and she leaves a lot of notes on the side. She'll you know, put her comments into with some grammar stuff, but it's really more about did the plot make it through? Did the character stay solid? Were there the twists and surprises that we expected? Because even though I write romance, there's always twists and surprises I can't. I can't write anything straight from beginning to end. And so she, she catches me if any of those things fall through. Mm-hmm. One of the things I read in your reviews, because you have you know, so many books to look at and tons of reviews on, on all of them, um, one of the things that came up in a few of the ones that I've spotted was that you're leaving people hanging, and that sort of irritates oh, yeah. them, the cliffhanger thing. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And that so was what, made you, decision de- what made you decide to do that? Yeah, sure. Well, as a reader myself, you know, and I think, unfortunately, we first start with us, right? Like, as a reader myself, I enjoy cliffhangers. Like, I enjoy getting to the end of the book. And instead of feeling like, okay, it's all done, unless it's the last one, then yes, you better close it off for me. But I enjoy going, oh, my gosh, there's another one coming out. The anticipation for me is so much better. 
um, than than the closing of it. I just I just enjoy that. But for me, from a business perspective, I did a lot of testing last year. That was the CPA analytical side of me, and I did a lot of testing. If I want this to be a viable business, what sells better? Is it cliffhangers that then push you to another novel? Because a page turner anyway, it has a cliffhanger almost on every end of the chapter. And so do cliffhangers sell better or do standalone novels sell better? And through all the analysis that I did, cliffhangers sold better, which was my initial go-to anyway because of the type of reading I reader that I am. Um, and so I moved a lot of my novels from solid novels into a cliffhanger. Like I pulled series off and rewrote them to make them three-part cliffhangers so that the business model would work. And the story was still being told, and I write so fast that you're only waiting a couple of months. It's, I think, a three-month lag at most between book one, book two, book three, you know, to close it off. So it's not like it's a year you have to sit on that cliffhanger. So it was a business decision completely. It's interesting because um, for me, I write mystery thriller, and so – even though I'm writing a series and I will have some cliffhanger things in there, there's, there's an element of the story that always ends at the end of a book. But there's usually more than one. Um, there's a, another plot that's weaving through, say, the three books that isn't going to end until the third book. And so I don't get – it's not a major, oh, I just cut that off at the end and, and totally annoyed my audience when I did it, which is a little different than what you're doing because you're, you're flat out just – Oh, this is a cliffhanger, which reminds me of how TV shows operate. You know, why yep, do we get right. caught up and binge watch? You know, I I just binge watch Gotham like last week or something. <laughs> I haven't seen <laughs> it, but I want to. Yeah, you know, I yep. mean, but that's exactly how those shows do it. And so it sounds like that's the approach that you're taking. And so you're going to have those people that are just totally annoyed by that. And you can't help that. That's just the way that it is. Um, but if you think no, about I agree, it and I think... TV shows, makes sense. Yeah, and I think that um, when you look at the cliffhanger, the annoyance, I mean, you may have out of uh, maybe 70 reviews that I have, I have four or five that are like, oh, I can't stand this chick. She's doing cliffhangers. But the other 65 are like, oh, I hate, I love you that I, I hate that I love you so much kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, right, that's hostile right. too when I read a cliffhanger. I hate that I love you so much and now I have to watch this TV show next week. And funny enough that you mentioned that, I did use that as part of the model when I sat down and said, what is working? Like if I can tell a solid story and people fall in love and they want to keep going, then the cliffhanger element is just that thing that for me, it, it ensures that they're going to pick up the next novel. Because when I didn't have a cliffhanger, there was no compelling factor. I mean, yeah, we enjoy how you read. I mean, how you write. But there's so many books available nowadays. There has to be some secret to how you're, you're managing your own business. And so that, those five people that come out for the 70 and say, oh, you're friggin' cliffhanger. Well, you know what? Don't, don't read on. It's okay. Go get another book. Plenty of people who enjoy you know, the cliffhanger and then go, okay, now give me the next one. Give me the next one. So anyways. Those are the same people who probably don't appreciate the TV shows that are like that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> really exactly. Get them exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and that's fine. That's cool. That works. So we probably yeah. should move on to what I actually called this episode, which is choosing the right subgenre because you write romance, but you write in a couple of different subgenres. So um, what subgenres are you writing in and why did you choose those? Sure. Okay. Um, when I started writing in romance, I started with contemporary romance um, just because it seemed like the widest net to cast. And it's great. Boy meets girl. You have some, you know, afflictions and things to overcome and all, all usually character defaults and things of that nature. And so I thought this would be great. Um, and, and writing in romance actually was a business decision too. Like I am a paranormal and a YA and a middle grade writer, but I 
did some research and figured out that mysteries obviously run rule the book world, but, but romance comes up in a close second. And so I always have romantic elements in my stuff. And I thought I'm going to write contemporary romance from a business perspective, because I can tell a story in any setting. Um, And so I decided to go that wide net. And then as I got into it, um, we did more research and found out that new adult was just spawning into existence. I think it was Harper Collins that, that, you know, tagged that name or whatever, and I might be wrong, but it was one of the big guys that said new adult needs to be a category. And as I realized what it was, mm-hmm. that it was that college age, I thought this would be fun. Like, you know, I was, I was in my mid thirties then or whatever. And so I thought this would be fun to kind of look back and enjoy the college days and some of the crazy stuff that we did and the things we overcame and, and seeing that it was a new industry, it was kind of like it wasn't as crowded or a new subgenre, excuse me. It wasn't as crowded. So I thought, okay, well, we'll start writing more college age, which just meant I had to shove my characters down to, you know, 22, 23 at the oldest, which mm-hmm. was good for me because then I could write them right out of college. And so we went into new adult. Quite a few of my series are in new adult. And, and because that's not such a – now it might be now. This was a year ago. But because it's not so um, packed with people – we really did a good job this year with BookBub. They've run us multiple times in the new adult area. And so that's been fun to kind of, you know, run rule and have fun in that area and not constantly get my rejections. Um, that was a huge change. And then um, new adult was part of it. We, I'll be moving into paranormal this fall. I have some clean paranormal, but I'll be moving into more like romantic paranormal this fall just because I love it. And I know there's a market for it um, completely. And then romantic suspense. I did some romantic suspense and the way that came about was I really wanted to write uh, something gritty, you know, gritty where there was a club owner and there was some drug dealers and, and the mystery and suspense became so much a part of the novel instead of the romance that I thought, Oh man, like I'm going to have to change this from romance to mystery suspense instead. And I thought, no, there's an element when I researched it under the romance writers America, there's an element of both. There's the romance for sure, right? And then there's definitely um, mm-hmm. the mystery suspense was just huge in it. So I just classified it, subgenre it into both. And so how are you um, doing from, because you mentioned you've got, you were CPA, six-figure income. Are you a full-time writer now and, is, and sustaining your family on, on your writing? I am. We. I actually quit my CPA job. I was working for Ernst & Young, and I quit in December of 2014. And so I've been writing full-time since then. That's why I've written so many books. Like I have changed my lifestyle. We cut back quite a bit at the beginning so we could get everything going. And I just spent now that first six months, I didn't get to feed my family very often with like me being out there cooking and stuff. I spent just tons of time trying to learn the business, trying to understand marketing, trying to connect with people and writing tons of books. And so um, I had the goal. The first goal I had was to bring my husband home. He's been a coach for 10 years and I, we get along really, 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 really well. And so I wanted him here with me and we were going to do that in June of 2017, but I actually got to do it this year. So the, the turnover has been great. Actually this year I'll close down the year making three times as much as I did as a CPA. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it's been a really, really that, good year. Yeah. Part of that, I think, is because you've produced so much work. Um, that, that's got to be part of it. But the other part of it is branding. And so yep. let's talk a little bit about how you're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a uh, that's such a big thing too, the idea of branding. And I'll tell you a, a story of how it didn't go well. So this might help someone out there. But for my Allie Parker line, you know, it's mostly romance. It's got a lot of new adult. Um, it's got some humor. It's got a lot of sexiness. And then, like I said, I really wanted to do 
a romantic suspense. And so I just, I wasn't thinking so much in terms of branding them when I did it. And so it's probably the only book I have that's more, that's closer to four stars than five stars. And that's because my audience was like, what is this? Like it wasn't my brand at all. It was much grittier. There was a ton more cuss words. There was sex in there that was um, a little bit more gritty to most of my audience. And so I should have rebranded that, that one series. It's the only series I have that still did well, but it didn't do nearly as well as it would have done if I had put it in the right branding category. It was subgenre perfectly, but my Allie Parker line is new adult and contemporary. It's not gritty romantic suspense. And so I've learned that lesson um, over this last year, but in branding, basically what I did was I created different pen names and most people are like, Oh my God, you'd have to recreate all the audience and all that stuff. And I disagree. Like, I think once you figure out which pen name, um, and let me say this, those pen names are my branding. So when you walk into a Barnes & Noble store, you know if you want young adult, you go to the young adult category. If you want middle grade, you go to the middle grade category, and you're safe. You know where you are. You know what you're getting. It's the branding. But online, it doesn't work like that, right? There is no, like, really online bookstore as much as, here, let me do my pen name so that if you go to my L.A. Starkey stuff, getting good, clean YA. If you go to my Allie Parker stuff, you know you're getting sexy romance. And so that's what I did with my branding is I basically created pen names that would cover what does this brand stand for? And it's different. Each one of them are. And when I built one of them, the Allie Parker line, I went in and I told everybody from Allie Parker, I know you guys love romance. If you're interested at all in YA or in clean paranormal or in erotica or any of the other lines that we have, this is me. Like I'm not hiding behind any of these. I just want you to know that the brand stands for this. So when you see this name, this is who I am. And so this year, um, late this year, maybe two months ago, has begun that process of taking that Allie Parker line that's done so well because we've pumped so much energy and effort into it and expanding that fan base. I want to say we have around 10,000 people right now that really go after Allie. And so we've expanded that base to go, we're these other people. Could you please help support us if you enjoy this? You're going to get the same experience because it's my writing, but it's going to be a different type of storytelling. And so a lot of them have transcended over and are helping us push those additional lines. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a great tip. I think you're probably the first one in a long time, first author I've talked to who talked about branding from the perspective of the pen names. Um, mm-hmm. Frequently, I think people are using the, the pen names as, in some ways it's to hide behind something. Um, yep. Because maybe they're writing erotic and they don't want people to know they're writing erotic, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think you're probably the, fir- the first author to say, hey, this is a way for me to brand a variety of different products, which is brilliant. Uh, what kind of things do you have going on? Uh, any promos or anything like that? Actually, um, we're trying to, I am trying to, I say we because there's so many, I have some staff and my husband and there's 10 people in my head, scary enough, so I always say we, so forgive me, but we are trying to make a run for the USA Today list um, this week. And so I have put my YA box set, which is three full-size novels on Greek mythology. It was a really fun series to write a year or so ago. We've put that $6.99 box set on sale for $0.99. Cents. It started yesterday, and it goes through Sunday next week. Um, and it was a, it's a great story with tons of twists and a love triangle, and all the Greek gods come in. And it, it was just a blast. It was the first thing I've done. And so we do have that promo running right now. It's on all five bookseller sites under L.A. Starkey. And it's called the Soul Keeper Series box set. And it's only 99 cents right now. So I'm really excited about it. I'm hoping it goes well this week. What's the audience for that one? This is YA. And funny enough, when, okay. I, when I did a survey for my YA, my YA is actually women uh, from the age of 28 to 65. <laughs> 
Isn't that crazy? I mean, because my mom is four. She reads YA. I do too. I love YA, but yeah, it totally is not YA. I mean, we're all like young adult at heart is what it should say. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm like that with middle grade. I love to read middle grade work. Um, And then I do read some new adult. All right. Well, Allie, thank you so much for being on Back Porch Rider with me today. I appreciate your time and all the great suggestions that you had for the audience. Awesome. I should appreciate it. And one more thing, my nonfiction platform to talk about these type of things is going to open up. We have the website up and stuff. So if you want to visit that for some inspiration or quotes, it's www.insaneingenuity.com. Insaneingenuity.com. That sounds I should awesome. I we'll you. To check it out. <laughs> Thanks, awesome. Thank Allie. you for having me today. You're welcome. Have a great day. Well, check it out. Um, I will get some more information from Allie about her new website and some other things um, so that we can have that on the Backport Rider page. You can look for that later this week. Hopefully, I will get that done later this week. i got a few things going on. Um, before I let you go, let me mention this. Jin Akobu, Akobu, I hope I said that right. He's been on the show a couple times. Anyway, he has started his, an editing services for writers. So if you want to get an editor, you can check him out. Just Jin, J-I-N, Akubo, O-K-U-B-O dot com forward slash editing services over on his website and see what how he compares to other um, services that are out there. I want to give a shout out to Patricia Raybone. Thank you so much for sharing um, a podcast with other people. She actually shared the Honoré Quarter interview that I did, I don't know, a couple months ago. I think it was during the summer. Um, so thank you, Patricia Raybone, for doing that. And Tina Marie Lacobo and Hey, It's Me, Joy, and Morgan Mandel, thank you so much for sharing information about Hush over on Twitter. I appreciate that. I want to remind you that Indie Author Fringe is coming up. That's October 22nd. Just look that up. You know, the alley people people do that. But anyway, it's October 22nd, Indie Author Fringe online, uh, one-day conference, great information, lots of speakers, and it's free. So check it out. Also, Brain to Book PsyCon, the cyber convention, will be happening again in April of 2017. But you can go to the Brain to Books website right now and sign up uh, as an author and see all of the things that are going to be available. One of the things that I will be doing for the event again this year is author interviews. Um, so you can uh, sign up for an author interview. I think there's a fee. I don't remember what if there is or what it is. But just go over to the Brain to Books website and check all that information out and then you can get signed up for an author interview. I'll also be hosting a workshop. Um, it'll be a pre-recorded workshop about how to interview. How, how do you prepare for these radio interviews that I do and that other podcasts, ta- podcasters do? You know, How do you prepare for a TV interview? You know, I had a guest on a couple of years ago, Larry Miller, who helped to talk through some of that stuff. So if you're curious about it, go back in the archives for, uh, I think it was 2014, maybe. But look for Larry Miller, and we were talking about how to prepare for interviews. And he covered the TV side of it, too, because his background is broadcast journalism. And so he knows more about that than I do. But I've learned a thing or two about the TV interviews since then. So I'll probably include it in my workshop as well. But anyway, that's what I have for you today. I want to thank you so much for joining me here on Back Porch Writer, the show for writers about writers and writing. Until next time, pull up a chair, sit a spell, and write. Thanks for listening to Back Porch Writer. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe via iTunes so people just like you can find the show. 
If you've got comments, questions, or want to be a guest, visit BackwardsWriter.com for details. I'm your host, Corey Miller. Until next time, pull the chair, sit a spell, and write. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.